When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. You know the rules of the game. Yeah. You know the rules of the game. I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You, you shouldn't even get this tape. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, here, checking in another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. It's a lovely Saturday. We had it early today. Can't wait to get this show started. What's up, the rest of my brothers? What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Kelly here, checking in, checking in. Excited for this podcast. Got a great guest that I feel like it's been a long time coming long. for us to do this podcast. And uh, how you doing over there, Jared? Man, I'm good, my brother. I can't complain. Up early and feeling good, man. But yeah, now this is <laughs> a long-running podcast. We've been needing to get this one in, bro. I'm, I'm very excited to talk to this guest today. Hey, Jared, you, I can finally see you too, man. You look good, man. Hey, man, I don't look like an unlocked character no more. They done got me some lights, y'all. Let's leave. <laughs> hey, we coming up in this world. We coming up BWR. But once again, y'all, like my brothers have mentioned, we got another great podcast coming for y'all. Today we have a real estate developer out of Houston, 
He doing a lot of dope work out there, working on some fire projects. He actually out in Denver right now doing some architectural reconnaissance. I ain't never heard of no shit like that. That's how you know he be doing this shit for real. McDaniel, Tyron, how you doing, bro? Hey, I'm cooling, man. What's up, fellas? What's up, BWR? Y'all tell me something good, man. Man, hey, we want to say thank you for coming on to the show. Welcome. Appreciate you for taking some time out your Saturday while you're out of town to hop on this with us. So appreciate you, my brother. No, nah, man, it's a pleasure, bro. I appreciate the invite. Don't take it lightly. Definitely looking to contribute and be of value, man. Love what you guys are doing. I want to support it any way I can. Hey, I need a hoodie, though. Know what I mean? Hey, hey we got, we you, got you, man. Yeah, we got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> we need to hook that up. You know what I'm saying? I'll pay for mine. I ain't tripping. You know what I'm saying? Hey, my brother, this is going to be a gift, man. Appreciate it. So, Tyrone, we want to hop right into it, bro. For everybody that's not familiar with you, can you get them a brief background on you and, like, how you got started in the real estate game? Yeah, man. So, you know, I'm an old head, you know what I mean? So I've been around for a little while, but, you know, so I originally got started in real estate because a buddy of mine who I'm kicking it with, who's with me on this trip here in Denver, wanted, he worked at what, the, is what they call an account executive for a mortgage company. And he had the idea that, hey, let's go set up a mortgage company. I didn't know what a mortgage company was. This is in basically the 1999, in 2000. So I'm 40. I just turned 47 on the 16th. So this was way back then. So long story short, he and I started a mortgage company, grew from a mortgage company to became mortgage brokers, started lending nationally. Same time I got married, my wife was agent. So we combined the mortgages with the real estate agency part. And so that was my initial start. And I always wanted to be an investor. So I got into investing, which I'm sure we'll start talking about. But in a nutshell, I started out as a loan officer working in a mortgage office. So you said your buddy called you and was like, let's start a mortgage company? Yeah. <laughs> it kept okay. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't never heard of no shit like that. So y'all, so whenever you say, okay, let's start a mortgage company, can we kind of like break that down? Were y'all the people getting the investors to get the money where y'all going to the bank? How does that work? Yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't on that higher level. No, it was just more mortgage brokerage side. So just where we provide residential financing for people. So back then, the lending environment was a little bit different. And back then, you know, there were people that were making really good money. It's mortgage brokers doing loans. You still have mortgage brokers now, but you can make way more money back then than you can now. They limit the fee structures and things of that nature. So he had, as a sales account, as a sales rep in that industry, he saw the kind of money people were making. He's like, man, we could make some money providing loans to people. And so he got me a job basically as a secretary. This is when they said fax machines, bro. So, you know, I was doing faxes and answering the calls in a mortgage office. And from the end, and that was so I could learn a little bit. Mm -hmm. and then he and I got, a, you know, when I got an office, set up a company called the Mortgage Outlet. And we started doing loans for people in the hood who really couldn't refinance. So how long did you stay doing that? Was it for up until 2008 around the bubble or was it? So my epiphany for why I said, told him that, yes, I would get into the mortgages is because I had a, like early on as a child, I always had an interest in real estate. You know what I mean? I didn't necessarily understand this or remember this until hindsight being 2020. But, you know, the epiphany, I was like, well, I don't know what a mortgage is, but I know I want to own houses. I want to have a rent house. I'd like to build houses someday. So if I can understand financing, I can buy, build, or sell anything I want. So for me, this was how I get in the game. Go and understand. I'm big on studying and analyzing markets. Mm -hmm. And then you look for inefficiencies in that markets or strategic advantages, or sometimes the advantage you have is 
you didn't know about it and there's an opportunity there. And then once you get aware of what the opportunity is, you figure out it's much bigger than anything you ever thought of and you may have an advantage. My advantage or our advantage was we was getting it out of the mud. We was coming from nothing. So the fact that we could see where we could make 70, 80, 100, you know, two, $300,000 a year providing loans, like, oh yeah, let's go. And so from that, I recognized real estate agency, you know, real, and I just saw how this could lead me into what my bigger goals were, which is being able to buy houses, rent them, build them, develop things of that nature. So I saw that it could lead me to a bigger picture. I was deaf. So I kind of want to go back now. You said okay. you've been looking at real estate since a kid. Where did that kind of come from? Was it, did you see someone in your family like control real estate or were you just like, I'm tired of seeing poverty? How did that come about? So I grew up in Fifth Ward in Houston and we used to stay in these par- apartments called Market Village. And what happened was some family member gave my mom a lot in another, in a nicer part of, well, that wasn't the hood. <laughs> it was in the nicer part of uh, Houston. And she went and got plans designed and all this stuff. And this is when we still live in apartments. And, you know, we live in apartments. Oh, mama, we finna get a house. Long story short, I never forget looking at the plans. It was a little three bedroom, one bath ranch, you know, with brick across the bottom and, you know, siding across the top. But long story short, she didn't get it. And, you know, financing or something fell through. And I never forget how she felt and how bad that was. And lo and behold, ultimately, she didn't give up. Though when we did end up buying a home, and I, it was so funny, man. I'll never forget uh, having a conversation when I asked, well, how much does it cost? And our mortgage payment was like $360, 60 bucks a month. And I remember asking her, like, okay, like, how much are we paying for the house? And she's like, and this is when I was in second or third grade. She's like, it's like thirty two or 33000 son. And so... And I said, well, how long do we have to pay for it? And she told me 30 years. And I remember calculating. I was like, well, we're going to pay like whatever that maybe two or three times more than mm-hmm. $30,000. And, like, and I was like, why? She said, well, I don't know. But I know we pay $360,000, but we can afford it. So that's what it's going to take for us out of the house. So what I call serendipity, bro, it's little stuff that happens throughout life that seemingly is not connected to something, but it's actually connected to something. So that was the first time that even a consciousness of real estate, finance or whatever in my life I can remember. From there, as a kid, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I climb on top of my house and dream about what we now call our lofts and warehouses. Because I, my dad was a trucker, so I wanted to have a trucking. And over the warehouse, I was going to put me a fly apartment. Well, I was reading a Chronicle one day and saw that they call those lofts. I was a kid just dreaming it in my head. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. So that was the next connection to real estate. Then when I look back, when I was 17, 18 years old, had a car, you know, had my photo Cadillac, you know what I'm saying, Fleetwood. I pick my homies up and go take them and show them some dude who had a fly landscape on the south side of H-Town because I lived on the north side. Or I'd, we'd go out to the southwest and I'd show them some bad crib on two acres that I saw that was brick and be like, man, it's a black dude still be a chick this crib out. So real estate in a real awkward way has always been something throughout my life now that I look back that I had an interest in. Hey, that's dope, man. That's dope. I'm thinking that was a powerful example in there you was talking about whenever you were a kid. I just want to kind of touch on that again, because I don't think a lot of people think about it. That three sixty a month for that thirty years—that sound good, but Word. 
over time, you really end up paying more for the asset than the asset is worth. So like, can you speak more to that? Like, what was that thought process like whenever you like finally got into the game, whenever you were like doing all that? So man, what happens is, you know, one understanding, to me, I, I consider, it's like this, financial tools are like, I equate it to clothes. I'm on a t-shirt right now, but I could have on a jacket. I could have on so many other things based on the situation and the environment. And the thing about what you guys are doing is it's educating people on how to use, it's worth first of all, educating them on all the different types of financial tools and vehicles. And the beauty of you having subject matter experts like myself who are specialists in any given lane is that now people can get the right information on how to use these tools in what particular environment. You follow me? It's the reason I don't have on a coat because it wouldn't suit this environment I'm in. Their mortgages are great tools when you understand how to leverage them. You follow me? And so that's what I took out of that is it ain't that mortgages are bad. Mm -hmm. It's understanding the fact that all she could say to me is, son, I know it's $369 a month. I don't understand anything else. That's the issue. It wasn't, she bought the asset mm -hmm. she was buying for $369,000 for $369 bucks a month. That house today in any kind of, in the condition that it's in today is uh, probably a hundred and sixty seventy thousand dollars so it was a great investment mm -hmm. but it's not understanding why it's a great investment via leveraging that tool which is the mortgage is the issue so i just think that what that gave to me is understand how to use these different tools it's not is it good or people focus on well this is bad or this is good no it's not it's about what's exact like you have people mm -hmm. on different sides of the arguments okay our stock better than real estate is this better than that or you know, it's not about which one is good versus this one. It's about which one is exact, which one is most precise for your situation or what you're trying to accomplish. You follow me? Yeah. So that's what that took me to is understanding, you know, how to be precise with how you apply stuff and knowing why you need to use it. Mm. Hey, and I always resonate with that because I always say it's like a tool, like same thing. You can't unscrew a flathead screw with a Phillips screwdriver. It won't work. <laughs> you have to look at the same thing with all of these financial vehicles that you're using. Same thing right. with stocks, real estate, Forex, crypto, whatever it is. Like you exactly. said, your situation is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So exactly. Personal. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you can't use just any tool. No, exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, I always say start with the end in mind. What are you trying to create? You know what I mean? based on what you're trying to create is going to dictate, you know, that a lot of times people focus on, well, how do I do this? But you don't even know where we're going. <laughs> you're trying to figure out a how without figuring out where first. Let's figure out where and why. Mm. When you figure out the where and the why, the how is easy. Mm. Hey, you know what I mean? like that, that really helped you a lot with just having those realistic moments with yourself and dreaming about the loss and everything. You understood where you wanted to get to. That really motivated you to try to get to that point later on in life. And you know what, brother? And here's the crazy part. See, I only understand this in hindsight. Mm -hmm. You follow me? Like when it was like, I didn't know what was happening as it was happening. Like I said, it was unconscious incompetence. I didn't know that I didn't know. You know what I mean? That was just life unfolding. And then over time, that's why it's good to have opportunities like this where you can extract certain things that have transpired in your life or just on a topic and it helps you understand. But yeah, I didn't, at the time, I didn't understand it. But looking back, I was like, oh, okay, this is how that connected to that. Okay, okay, so this stuff actually does make sense, okay? 
this is why I'm here, you know? It's helped me. So I never really looked at stuff in terms of how. I just focused on why I wanted to do it. And it's just funny to me how the hows always show up, you know? Mm, the why is always the most important thing. All the time. So I have a question, kind of following back in with your story. How did that, um, how did that all go from there? You started with the mortgage lending, you making money. How did you go from there to, I want to start building and buying houses in the hood and providing that for people? Like, how did that go from there to there? What did that process look like? Great question. So from the mortgage side, got married. My wife was the agent. I was the finance guy. And we both got each other's license. So we both had real estate mortgage license back when that was weird and unbeknownst to people. And we were buy a house here to, you know, rental, flip a house or two here there but what happens when you become a service provider in a certain industry in this case real estate you fulfilling the goals or paying the bills or making the money supersedes why you got into the business if you talk there's so many real estate agents today that have zero or want to buy houses and got into real estate got their license to buy houses but got busy making a living from selling houses so ultimately what happened is we i saw ourselves not doing as much real estate investing and probably shortly after the crash going into the last real estate crash we saw on the mortgage side a lot of changes started to happen the mortgage industry got very very restricted mm -hmm. and so i saw an opportunity to kind of more so start to focus on you know taking advantage of real estate investing opportunities because i got tired of focusing on fulfilling the needs of other people so we started doing a little bit more investing and what really made me transition my investing efforts is I bought a house that proverbially kicked my butt. <laughs> it was a horrible situation. I had a whole bunch of headaches. And that house taught me that, you know what? It's easier to build brand new because you don't have to factor in any potential headaches because everything is new. So I had a bad experience with a, a buy, fix, and flip. Horrible lent hard money situation. Ended up giving that property back to the hard money lender. Damn. And after that, I said, okay, dusted myself off, said, you know what, I'm going to do this again, but I'm going to take everything I learned now and go and build the house because if there's no termites behind the wall, if there's no hidden fire damage, if there's no, you know, crackhead from around the corner stealing off the aluminum side and every time you put it up so he can go sell it, <laughs> if you can eliminate all those issues, you know, then it'll be a little bit easier. So I do kind of want to go into that whole thing. You said the first property, it got taken back by the hard money lenders. People that aren't familiar with hard money lenders, could you tell them a little bit more about how that process works? Like how they're able to sure. take the house back from you? Sure. So that wasn't my first property, but that was like several properties in. That was when mm -hmm. I, that uh, just to give a little bit of context. So when I first, that was probably my first foray into buying in the hood when it's at the epitome of being in the hood. Mm -hmm. and wanted to fix up a property and sell it. And so the only way you could get the kind of financing for this kind of property was hard money lenders. And a hard money lender is mm -hmm. basically an asset-based lender that's going to look at solely what are you buying, and you have to buy the discount. They're going to lend no more than somewhere between 65 to 70% of the value, and they'll give you the money to fix up the property. So in this case, this was a house that I could purchase for, I think the house was maybe about 35000 I had a budget of about 35000 and it was supposed to be worth about one hundred five to one ten. The reality of the matter is that I bought it. The price was right, but the $35,000 budget should have been fifty. Mm -hmm. 
50, maybe 55, but being a novice investor. So I didn't, you know, I screwed all that up. But Hard Money Lender lent me the money to buy. They lent me the 35000 They also put the thirty five in escrow. And I had to come to closing with like right at 10%. Mm-hmm. So I had about 7000 in the deal. And so generally hard money lenders, they're going to charge two to three what they call points or percents of the loan. And the interest rates are going to be anywhere from 10 to 13.99%. So damn, that's kind of high for real estate. But how long is that value of that loan whenever you're doing hard money? So generally, these are six-month loans. You know, it's a six-month loan. Yes. So here's the thing. I love when people say it's higher and expensive. My question is, compared to what? Because mm-hmm. see, the reality of the matter, you're comparing it to, like, you're comparing apples to oranges. Nobody else will land on this property. So you're comparing it to not having an opportunity to do the deal versus having the thing, again, going back to understanding financial tools and what's best in a situation, it's not about good or bad, it's about what's exact. In this case, what's exact is the opportunity is only theirs if you have the capital. Mm-hmm. So you either have cash or you have some financial mechanism. The average person coming from where I come from, no bank was going to give me a line of credit for it. I didn't have the cash, you follow me? So now the fact that I didn't get the optimum result had nothing to do with the tool working. You know what I mean? Because I still would have, could have paid that lender, you know, 10, 11, 12%. And when you're flipping a house, you're going to earn somewhere between 12 to 20%, depending on what kind of market you're in net. So that, and that's factoring in paying in a hard money lender. If you go private or you have some of the variables, you're going to earn a little bit more. But the thing I tell people, it's not necessarily cost. It's about access to capital. Mm -hmm. And that's a good point that you said, the access to capital. Because I know that's something that a lot of investors, whenever they're trying to get going, they might have the credit or they might have the drive or whatever. They don't have the access to the capital. So if we have some new investors out there or some people who feel like, hey, I'm ready to make that next step. What's some places where they can get access to capital or how do you find hard money lenders if you're not available to go to traditional route? Yeah. So the thing with hard money lenders, I mean, obviously... I look hard, I Google for local hard money lenders and I would Google or I go on Facebook, I go on Instagram, Twitter, whatever social you are. And I would look for lenders in my city, but I'd also network with real estate agents that represent investors because they're going to have a hard money lender that they work with for their new investors. And I'll also reach out to investors that are local in my area that are wholesalers because they're going to have uh, hard money lenders that they know when this person is qualified with this lender, I know that you're going to uh, execute. And so those are my ways I tell people, you know, for, how you can source. And I always tell people, like, I like local. What we're doing now is cool. We hop on the Zoom. We can talk. It's virtual. But I need to get face-to-face with you. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is when it comes to real estate, real estate's a local business. When you start dealing with people, there are some nuances to, I'm in Denver right now. If you've never been in Denver, it's hard for you to imagine how it's not a lot of bad areas inside the city. Mm-hmm. In Houston, we can be right here and it's jumping and I can take you two blocks down and it's jumping on the opposite end of the spectrum. You mm-hmm. follow me? So if you're trying to understand Houston, but you live in Denver and you've never been, like you can't understand certain nuances of the market. So always get a lender that's local so they understand whatever it is you're trying to do and the nuances to your deal is some I always tell people. And the third thing I tell people about working with hard money lenders is don't work with a lender 
that won't educate you on what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like I've talked to so many people, I start asking questions about their loan. They're like, well, I don't know. Well, I don't remember. Like, wait a minute. You don't like, you supposed to work with somebody that explains this to you. This is how you prevent from getting foreclosed on. So one other thing I'd like to say about hard money lenders, going back to the cost of them and a perspective I give brand new investors is this. Most investors, especially if you have a little bit of money. So I talk to investors who may have, you know, chunks of cash. And they said, well, I don't need a lender. I can do it cash. I said, well, let me give you a different perspective. One of my lenders in Houston has done over 4,000 loans in Houston, hard money. I say, now imagine you go to him. Do you think he knows how to underwrite a deal that's better than you? Yes. I say, number two, you've never done this before. So regardless of what you learn on the podcast or regardless of what you learn from your mentors or whatever the case may be, none of them are invested in the deal. This guy's going to give you the money to buy it and fix it. He's done over 4,000 deals. He's a quasi partner for you because think about it. If he approves this deal that you have, that means it's a deal that can make money because he's not going to lend you the money. He's not going to give you his money to lose. Facts. Facts. It's a big fact. You know what I mean? So he's the partner. Now, yeah, he's paying you to be his partner, but if you're a brand new investor and you want to me, I like, I tell people, you know, don't try and convince yourself of a deal, get a consensus. So, you got the person who's selling you the deal that says it's a good deal. Then you got your own knowledge that says it's a good deal. But then you got your hard money lender who's evaluated everybody's perspective and independently is saying whether or not it's a good deal. So now you got the consensus of people that all say that this is a good deal, which now you as the novice, the beauty is see real estate's a team sport. So when you properly understand having this consensus of people that all agree, Everyone on your team understands, sees this is all a great deal. So now you can move forward with confidence. You don't have to second guess the deal. And that's a, I, I do. Well, I, had, I actually had a question earlier from what you had said. You had said about like getting into that first deal, like we said with the hard money lender, and then kind of hitting your head and having to like lose the deal. And I was going to ask you, how did you like learn from that? Or how did you keep progressing from that? But I'm starting to, I think I see you source the information. Like you got other people's expertise and was like, hey, you understand this better than me. So help me as I'm doing this deal. Right. Like, so there's several things I learned. One, I learned to better inspect the property. You know what I mean? Like this house had fire damage and I didn't even know it until we took off the roof. So that was one of my lessons. You know, we had, uh, there was an entire wall that had gotten eaten by termites. Well, I didn't know that because I didn't know what signs to look for. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.
So I screwed up on the inspection side. I screwed up on the trade that I picked. You know, one of the things I talk about now is understanding when I coach or mentor people that are building or doing things in this nature, I talk to them about understanding different types of contractors and trades that you need. So that was another lesson I learned. And then I learned a lesson in picking the right type of property. You know, that wasn't the right type of property for me to undertake as my first deal by myself. That's important. It was kind of similar to the, the thing Jared had you touch on with finding the people. I guess I was looking for what were some tips? Because you mentioned that like with a hard money lender, you get a six month timeline usually. Gotcha. That's a pretty tight timeline for somebody, especially like a new investor. What right. were some tips for them to help manage that process? Now, do you kind of just touched on it. Sure. Thing? So, you know, a couple of key things going back to building that team. You know, everything you do within real estate, you want to have that team perspective and you start to source the talent. Now, what a lot of us do, I believe in nepotism. I believe in us looking out for one another. I believe in any strategic advantage we can afford one another. We want to do that. But I also believe in us getting to the end result. So what you got to do is build a team of people like you got to build a team of people that are going to allow and help and ensure in many cases that you get to the end result. So if we're buying a house to fix it and flip it, you know, to me, I tell people having a great agent, agents don't cost you money. Great agents make you money. You know what I mean? And if you work with agents that don't make you money, that's because you've picked the agent based on, okay, that's your honor. That's your homeboy. They got a license. You didn't pick the agent that's going to bring you deals that you weren't going to get, you know what I mean? Unless y'all had that relationship. You didn't pick the lender that's the best construction lender in the city. You picked your homeboy or your friend or, you know, some other affinity relationship that you may have. You pick that person who says, I can do construction loans. It's a difference between working with a guy who's a 10 on construction loans versus somebody who does construction loans. Mm -hmm. And so you want to build a team of 10s in their respective fields so that now your hard money lender, in the case of your hard money lender, like, so if you build some tens, if you look for people that are the best of the best, now you don't have to figure out all these little strategies. Okay, well, what's the best way to find a hard money lender? What's the best way to find this person? No, find, I, this is another thing I say to people, find people that are good at what they do, that are passionate about what they do and pay them. Like that's the cheat code. Work with the best of the best. And pay them. <laughs> and pay them, like real talk. Like everything we want, we pay for it, bro. And that, that's like literally. Facts. You got to, like, you got to pay people what they value that, what they work. Like we went out and had like some of the best, one of the best rated steaks here in the city. We didn't sit down and say, okay, great. Let's expect for the steak to come to us and us not. Have, no, we had to go to the place. They didn't send a car to get us. We had to go there and pay. You know what I mean? Because we wanted the best tasting steak in Denver. You understand what I'm saying? So you're trying to get, see the challenge. I, this is what I tell people on investing. It's beautiful to have YouTube and free game. Mm -hmm. But you can't build a business, a sustainable business, off free game in YouTube University. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> Talk to him, my brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, Wish I, I mean, real, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it just don't work. Like, think about it. You want to be an investor, but you won't invest nothing. You want to invest in you. Like, see, here's the thing. It's not about knowledge. See, we never lack for the information, right? Okay, how do you wholesale houses? Go find a house worth 100000 Somebody will sell you for fifty. 
okay? Doesn't matter how, just go find one. Then call people like us and say, hey, I got a house for 50, it's worth 100, it need 20, I want eight. Give me eight grand and you can have it, I wholesale it to you, right? Okay, that's wholesaling, everybody know that, right? Now, you wanna know why somebody won't hear that and just go do it because they didn't pay $1,000 in a course to learn what I just said in 30 seconds. So then it cost them nothing to learn it. So because it didn't cost you anything to learn it, you associate no value to it. So because there's no value, you don't do nothing with it. Mm. It's not that we don't know. We go to events and seminars and stuff like that. It's not that you don't know the information. You know it, you just haven't made the decision to do anything with it. And so most times we don't make decisions to do anything until something actually costs us something. So again, free game, YouTube, all that's cool. But at some point you're going to have to invest in yourself in order to get the greatest return on your potential. Invest in yourself. That's a message. That's a bar, whole bar right there. Man. You kind of spoke on uh, building a team. And I know we talked about the hard money lenders, but I kind of want to go into the general contractors. I feel like that's a huge part okay. of, of flipping the houses. And I've seen some people, especially on Twitter, talking about how they've had trouble with general contractors. Is there a way to make sure you hired the best one or to make sure you've got the, a good one? Man, so, you know, yeah, that could be a whole podcast of itself because to me, I think there are some fundamental issues that both sides of the table don't understand, okay? Like, and let's approach it from this. So I can give you some information, right? But I think that having a little bit of context is better. So let's look at this. So, okay, right, people say contractors are bad, they're this, that, and other, so on and so forth. So let's ask ourselves why, or let's look at what opportunity is there, what's going on. Now, as a person who has contractors that work for me, I've been, you know, and so on and so forth, here's the first issue. Most investors think that because they don't want some contractor to run off with the money, they say, okay, we expect you to go and put your money in it. You start to get the work done first, and then we'll start to reimburse you. Okay. The problem with that is most contractors are barely good at what they do. And they're only in business because they don't want to work for someone. So they're a good carpenter. They're not a good money manager. So a lot of people, because of how they structure or because of they don't really understand <laughs> like the nature of contractors, to me, I think there's a fundamental flaw issue. The easiest way to find good contractors to me, what I tell people is this, number one, find a contractor or two and pay them for estimate. Like, it's good to get all the free guys, but to me, what I, I like is, like, if I have a trade that's a just what I call a moderate trade that prices something, then I have a higher-end trade that's paid me, that I have a paid estimate. What that gives me, in my opinion, is, like, most contractors that don't value their time are just gonna go out and look at anything and chase projects. That's not the guy that you want. That's why you got issues. The guy that you want values his time. So he's not driving all around because he's so busy right now, he doesn't have to drive over town to talk to some investor that he hoped might buy a house and he get a deal 30 days from now. So fundamentally, the guy that's gonna come and give you a free estimate and quote is probably not the guy I want managing my $40, $50 rehab, number one. That's why I'm willing to pay a guy for two, 300 bucks to get the proper, now, when I pay for estimate, I got a good base point. So now I know, and when I pay for estimate, I'm going to get a labor and materials quote. I don't want nothing turnkey. In other words, okay, to paint this house is $3,000. Wrong. I want to know $2,000 worth of labor, $1,000 worth of paint. Okay, to put siding on here is six grand. Wrong. I want to know $3,100 in labor, $2,900 in materials. So I want a line item estimation and 
breakdown so that now, even if I don't use you, I got a base point to negotiate down or negotiate up. I can take the estimate and I can go to Home Depot myself. When I coach people, this is something that I just did a master class where I teach building and renovation. In order to attend, you have homework. The homework exercise is you going to Home Depot, walking every aisle. It's a two-hour exercise. If you leave within the two hours, you failed. What is the premise? I call it awareness just for you to be exposed to materials and pricing. Because now you can know nothing about negotiation. But just because you understand material costs, a guy can give you a quote. Hey, it's going to take you $4,000 to frame your house. You ask him one question. How much materials? He said, oh, it's 500 bucks. You say, great. So it's a $4,000 quote, $500 in material. And then I ask, I'm paying you $3,500 in labor. Damn. On $500 you, Now look, and notice what I did. I didn't say anything and you said, damn, and then I responded. But because when I asked that question, I shut up. Whoever talks next loses. Mm. Because generally the contractor is going to start validating, well, this is why you're paying me $3,500. And from there, now you know what you're negotiating. You follow me? Because you know the cost of the materials. So right. now... I can't move the cost of materials, but I can move the cost of that labor. Of labor, exactly. See, most people are negotiating against themselves. So if you just know material costs, you at least can now, because see, think about it. What if I negotiate you down off the 4,000 without knowing material costs? And I negotiate you down 250 bucks. What happens when he give you grade three wood versus grade one wood? You follow me? Or you go from having the 49, if we're talking tile, you were going to get, maybe he goes from giving you 99 cent a square foot tile to the 49 cent a square foot tile, which changes how it looks, which independent, that could change quality, that could change your ARV, depending if we're talking granite, quality of fixtures. So see, it's little subtle nuances that people like they miss when they're dealing with trades and contractors that set them up for failure from the jump street. You follow me? The guy that charges you to come out for a quote is a totally different guy than the guy that just show up that you call him. And then most people, here's the thing, the guy that shows up that will just show up on a dime, like most people try and call a guy off Craigslist and get them to manage a $30,000, $40,000 job. The problem is the investor isn't trained enough to manage this guy. Mm -hmm. So he can go in and wire this little area you need wire, but you don't know the difference between 14-4 wire, 12-2, ROMX, or the difference. So you don't know what to inspect. So when it's wrong, it looks subpar, it's cheap, you didn't know how to manage this guy. Whereas if you did something else that a lot of investors don't do, going back to contractors, you could have the worst contract in the world. This is one thing that will save you. Pay an inspector to do period inspections throughout your rehab. So he do phase one, inspector come out, he say, this is garbage. Okay, now you know this is garbage work before you've gotten halfway into the project, you know it phase one. Other thing I tell people to do when they're dealing with trades and contractors, you got a $30,000 job. Most people agree, write a contract. I say, don't do that. You got a $30,000 job and that's bid. Okay, let's break this down to, let's take the first 5,000 of the 30. Let's do, and I give you 1,500 on that. You get started three days in, five days in, whenever next payment is due, we're going to measure and see if I like your work, you like me. And if we want to move forward, then we can move forward. We call it red light, green light in my business. So don't commit the whole job. Commit a piece of the job and work on that first to see if you like the guy. And then you just kind of take it, you know, one step at a time before you commit to a whole person, give them half of a $30,000 job. They can't spend the whole 15000 
initially anyway. They got to demo, they got to prepare, so on and so forth. So there's stuff they have to do. So if you commit a smaller piece to the initially versus the entire thing, that can save you a lot of drama and headaches. So that's more or less contractor management, how I would find trades, number one, and then a little bit of how I would handle them. And I threw in a little negotiation part, I guess, uh, too, as well. And you mentioned that class. My brother educating right now, man. Say it again, Jared. I said, and he mentioned that class where he goes over all this. Like, where can somebody find out more information about that? Because I just learned a lot just in that monologue. (laughs) So the link isn't up, right? Is this airing live or in a few days? Uh, It's going to air in a few days. Okay, cool, cool. So you can go to urbanbuilderschool.com. That's urban, U-R-B-A-N, builder, B-U-I-L-D-E-R, school.com. And it's basically a two-day class. One day is on renovations. The other day is on new construction. You'll tour both renovation and new construction projects. You'll get to look at our current projects that are in various stages of new construction and reconstruction and development because we have some development projects uh, that we're working on as well. There's a VIP after party the first night and, you know, it's immersion. It's learning by immersion. So it's not a beginner's event. You know, I don't say I discourage, but it can be like drinking from a fire hose for a beginner. It's ideally suited. I created the class for people that are already buying, fixing and flipping and want to get into new construction, or maybe they haven't done a deal yet, but they got their money together to do a deal and they got their credit and they just need the proper guidance Mm -hmm. to learn it or to take what they're already doing to the next level. That's ideally who I create the masterclass for. And that's beautiful, man. I have one question I want to kind of go back into because I can see that you're a teacher. And I know you were talking about like the event that happened with your mom in the house. So I want to talk about whenever you became a mortgage officer, were you teaching people about their deals or were you helping them understand, hey, this is what that 30 years mean? Or did you not come to that point in your life yet? Yeah, man, you know, uh, it's so funny, man. We used to do seminars and one of my biggest epiphanies too, man, like I started, you know, the minute you learn something, you try and start teaching people. And so my, one of my buddies, one of the issues I had in the mortgage business, I'll never forget, you know, he one, at the end of the month, my buddy looked at me and said, bro, bro what do you have that's going to close this month? Because I spent all my time working on what we call BCNM, bad credit, no money files, trying to help people fix their credit. You don't have the money, you know, and all this other stuff. And that's great. But the challenge, what my buddy said in real talk, he said, unfortunately, uneducated and sometimes people that we would classify as poor don't value free information. Mm. It's the people that don't need the information that values free information because they know what it's worth, which goes back to investing in yourself and understanding Mm. that premise. And so I had to understand that I got to create a big enough platform of success so that I can then have the excess time, freedom, and resources to spend time doing credit repair, seminars, and investing more time with people. So yes, I definitely did start helping people kind of understand the tools. And that was one of our practices. And to me, I just felt like we had a vision for what we were doing in real estate. And I just, I felt like we could use this as our tool to fulfill our goals and dreams. And now what I see is our purpose. So I understand I didn't get into real estate by happenstance. This was you know, it's part of what my purpose is to do here on earth. And so I was unconsciously competent of that for a lot of years of my life. And so, yeah, I just wanted to help other people learn it. So we started to share and, you know, just help empower more people with the industry, help them make savvy decisions in terms of where they purchase and things of that nature. Hey, man, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. 
I got one more question about the loans. We've touched on it. I just want to know, is there a 15 versus 30? Like, is I'm not saying there's one better. Is there one preferred if I'm doing it for a real estate investment? When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So generally... I would say it depends on your exact situation and what you're looking to accomplish. Like, so if you're looking to maximize your cash flow, then you're going to go with a 30 year. If you're looking to have an accelerated debt pay down, then you would go with a 15 year or take a 30 and pay it like a 15 year. You know what I mean? So it's really about used loans. What I would say to every person is just use loans and work with financial professionals that understand what you're trying to do. If you work with guys who are loan officers that only work with people who just are buying, using mortgages for primary residents, they can help you get an investment property loan, but they're not the ideal guy. You want to work with the guy that works with a lot of investors. Like I don't work with people that don't do what I do. So I wouldn't have a realtor that works for me that doesn't already buy, fix and flip and do deals herself. I wouldn't work with a loan officer that wasn't an investor himself. I wouldn't work with a, a tax professional that doesn't own real estate themselves. Like it just, you know, they're understanding your business at an intimate level and seeing it the way you do is so critically important to your success. And so again, going back to real estate being a team sport, it's important for you to have the proper people on your team. I love it. I love it. So I'm, I'm so happy you like touched on earlier that portion about like people. I, I compare it almost like the airplane example. Like when you starting this money stuff or like you building wealth, like you need to put the mask on yourself before you turn around and start trying to put it on other people. Like if right. you don't have no time, you can't help nobody. Like right. you can't be right. talking and help people. Like you gotta have something to help them with. Nah, you know you can only. I mean, you need some excess to give out of. You know what I'm saying? You need some discretionary. So you got to create some discretionary, you know, like Aisha Seldon says, you know, it's your discretionary income that's your wealth builder. You know, that's also, and that allows you the opportunity to do your philanthropic efforts. You know what I'm saying? But you can't give from your substance because now how, you're no longer being sustained. You know what I mean? Which, you know, like, and I tell people, that's like even with the masterclass, I tell people invest. I say, you know, wholesaling, is where you don't necessarily need cash or credit. You can just use specialized knowledge and hustle, right? And get results. When you start wanting to buy, fix and flip houses or renovate them, or excuse me, or build new construction, you've now gotten into the aspect of the real estate business where you know, it's capital and credit intensive. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't come into this space with the no money down, no cash, no credit. Like that's not, this ain't that lane. There's many different lanes in real estate, but this ain't the lane that is. You got to stand 10 toes down when you come in this side of the game. Mm-hmm. Can't come in like it's the NACA program. You, yeah, you... no, nah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and listen, there's no shortage of programs, grants, and things of that nature. But it trips me out talking to them. They say, okay, well, great. Yeah, I want to flip houses in the hood. And I'm, you know, so what programs you use? I don't say, so, you know, right, Hip National Bank, that program. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, you know. 
you and your people putting your chips together and going buying a house, you know, like it's not no money down. So, you know, you're going to have to have some capital and some credit put aside or a credit partner or something like that to be able to do this stuff. Now, you can obviously get this done. You know, if you just have credit, you can leverage that to get the capital. If you just have the capital, you can leverage that, be a partner and, and different instruments. But you've got to have some resources allocated to be able to do this. This is investing. I'm glad you touched on that point about the hood because that was a part that I wanted to get into. Investing in the hood. A lot of real estate investors, sometimes they'll not see value in the hood. Is that primarily where you invest or what's your niche? Man, my niche is we buy, fix, and flip and build in inner city gentrifying neighborhoods in Houston and now other markets around this country. You know, so for years, you know, I just do deals wherever it makes sense. Then you start, as you get older, you move from, you can make all the money in the world, right? But then there becomes a thing to where if it's not, once you've gotten beyond making money, then you start to analyze how you make the money. And you know, in terms of the experience and or what you're creating when you're making the money. For me, every time I, you know, being from the hood, I always had a love for my neighborhood. So I always had a vision of what I wanted to do in my neighborhood. I look back and I remember telling my homeboys, man, you know, where I'm from, I was like, man, Fifth Ward is going to be a tight place. And what I used to tell my boys is when these folk come, I know it's going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen. I'm not going to let these folk take over our hood and I not get some of it too. I ain't, you know, change is inevitable. Is how I look at it. I'm not anti-gentrification guy. The hood is bad for a reason. It's the hood for a reason. We got to own up to that. You know what I mean? So you can't get mad at somebody else because they pool their funds and go and do what we didn't have the foresight, the vision, or the courage, or the guts to do. You know what I'm saying? So I knew that they were going to come. My thing was, I'm not going to let them come without me. So at a certain point in my real estate career, I said, you know what? I don't. I ain't interested in going over here and doing deals. I'm going to focus on my hood. So and it just so happened, me having that epiphany also had to do with understanding that the core of America's major cities was like Houston was, you know, kind of had been abandoned because there's what they call an exodus to suburbia. Everyone moved out to the suburbs to get away from the inner core. Well, so that also meant that there was going to be a resurgence at some point of areas that were close in. Mm-hmm. And so I just figured out, you know, I set up a company called Houston Vintage Homes and it was going to focus on buying in my hood and other hoods in Houston. And I wanted to do that because that's what I naturally want to spend the rest of my foreseeable future doing. You know, it's what got me excited. It makes me wake up in the morning without our alarm clock, you know, six o'clock ready to go. And that's that, the best feeling. Yeah, man. Ready to go without the alarm clock. And just know it's time to like, go. Ready to go get it. Like that's what you said, though. That's how you noticed know something that was important to you. Like you said, this is your calling. This is what you were supposed to be doing. And that's, that's another word testament to it. So, Tyron, we do want to... We're going to go ahead. We're going to pivot to the last segment of the show. So we're going to ask you, what's something that you've seen on your timeline that you just want to speak on? It could be anything. <sighs> Man. That sigh. <laughs> <laughs> we get this sigh every time. <laughs> you know, um, something on my – that's a great question, man. I've never had that one posed to me. I've had some good, good questions. Post and what's something on my timeline that I don't, so I want to be selfish and be self-serving. So, you know what, something on my timeline that I see, and it's probably because I curate my timeline, is this phenomenon within the culture of, you know, the collaborative efforts that are being made within our communities. You know what I mean? 
and the transference of knowledge that's happening in a very short period of time. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, for instance, platforms like what you guys are doing with BWR and connecting and just really, again, bringing subject matter experts, allowing them the opportunity to build with you guys and be a benefit to the culture. People becoming aware of not just real estate, which is the lane that I practice and play in, but, you know, whether it could be stocks or it could be Forex or it could be, you know, e-commerce or mm -hmm. just any of the different affiliate marketing and just so on and so forth, you know, building brands, you know, just all the different things we're doing now, trucking, you know, and, and the cool part is to me, what's cool is none of this is new. Mm -hmm. We've been out here grinding for years. You know what I'm saying? It's like Mr. George Frazier said, he said, we've just been disjointed. And now we've gone from being disjointed to now collaborating and connecting. And so that's what has me excited. And that's something that's on my timeline. I'm seeing it every day. We're living it. And it just warms my heart, bro. Hey, man, I love to hear. I love to hear from people like you guys, too, like the older heads who've been doing this before the time. Like, because there's a lot of new investors who's telling people, but I love hearing it from people like it's you and Aisha Sheldon. Yeah, like y'all been doing it way before this internet shit was hot. So you really right. like, hey, I really have all of this knowledge. I have like 20 years of this knowledge of what I've been doing. So it's cool and it's really dope to see y'all getting in on this too. And like, yeah, what y'all doing, this is the way. No, for sure. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. You know, and I mean, it's, I can recall... What I love is, like I said, the collaboration and people are sharing and we're all seeing one another grow. You know, I see so many people who, you know, like if you just connecting with someone like Aisha and being able to learn from, you could literally find out about her today. There'll be people that will go and Google who she is today or go and follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and they're going to subscribe to many of the tenants that she talks about. A year from now, it will be as if they've been in the industry five to seven years just from engaging with one person, mm -hmm. buying, investing in mud to millions, you know, following her tenants, understanding, you know, how she's been buying in her premises and things of that nature. And there's a guy right now who wants to be in podcasting and is watching you guys from afar and, you know, have watched the early beginnings and now watching the growth and the ascension. They're saying, okay, cool. These brothers came together put this thing together, you know, me and my boys could do something very, very similar. Maybe we're going to do it for the music industry. Maybe we're going to do it for in this space or whatever the case may be. So that's the beauty of what's happening, man, is people are being able to shorten their time frame and their learning curve to success. And that's the whole point is for us to, everyone doesn't have to blaze a trail. You know what I mean? You should just be able to fall into the jet stream. The jet is already done sucked up and created a space in the environment. We should have people running right behind you just filling up that success, duplicating it and replicating it all over the country. So that's what excites me about having conversations like this and being a part of stuff like this, man, is that, you know, we're just growing the effect and creating a ripple effect all through the community. Hey, well, I want to be one to tell you, thank you, my brother, yeah. because like what you doing, the gems you dropped on this podcast today going to help a lot more people than I think you even thinking about right now. Bro. Even <laughs> just the gems that you drop on the TL daily, like you, you, like I'll be paying attention. I'll be like, oh shit, he talking about this. He talking about that. Let me go look this shit up. Like just some <laughs> little things like that. It helps us. So once again, appreciate it, my brother. Thank you. So most certainly, man. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No problem. So, Tara, yeah. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Could you please 
plug yourself in, let the people know how they can find you if they want to get in contact with you, how they can follow you on social media. I know you touched on the class earlier. I let them have it again just so they can go get it. You know what I'm saying? You know, we all are the sum total of every experience, every person, and everything that's happened to us in life. And I've been blessed to have had a lot of great experiences, a lot of, and as it relates to real estate. And, you know, what I share in the master class is not my successes. I don't teach from my successes because when it all went right, I thought I was a genius. I teach from all the time, like I shared earlier in this about, you know, give, having to give a property back. Most people don't leave with, hey, here's what's bad that's happened. But when you can be aware of the mistakes that I've made and understand how, you know, this is a potential issue, but I'm going to curb it by sharing my story with you. Those things on both uh, the renovation side and the new construction building side, I haven't seen anyone teach that or teach it from our perspective, mm-hmm. utilizing our neighborhoods where our homeboys may have mm-hmm. got lost his life five years ago. Or in the case of the masterclass students, I showed them a place where one of my homies, a uh, little slank, was unfortunately lost his life to violence two weeks before the master class. Like this is around the corner from a property we're doing right now. So that's the realness and it speaks to why this is important. So that's my little spill on the master class because it really breaks down community development, how to do that. You can find me on Instagram at Houston Vintage Homes and also on Twitter, Tyron McDaniel, the urban CEO. I thank you guys and I appreciate you for having me on. No problem, problem. brother. Well, before we wrap this up, we're going to get into some house cleaning. Once again, we want to say thank you to everyone who comes in week in, week out. Keep on helping us grow. Y'all keep on just sharing it to all your friends, family. If there's some things that we can improve on, y'all let us know. We're always open to any type of reviews, any type of things that y'all might see that we don't see. Let us know. We open to it. We want to make sure we're giving y'all the best experience y'all can have. Also want to say y'all get our book, Manage Your Money Like The 1%. You can buy that on Amazon. You can buy it from the link in our bio. I'll actually also include it in the show notes. You can click it. If you are a podcast listener, you get 30% off. Thank you for being loyal. Fellas, y'all got anything else? Y'all just subscribe and rate the podcast and share it with people. That's all I care about. But yeah, with that said, y'all got anything? Nope. All right. That's Black Wolf Renaissance. Signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathons. My brother-in-law died suddenly. And now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.